Hello and shalom, everybody. My name is Julia Jassy, and you are listening to Nice Jewish Girls, brought to you by Unpacked, a division of Open Door Media. On today's episode, we are sitting down with Maytel Schaemberg, a business developer, an Orthodox Jewish woman, and an advocate for other women like her. Maytel is really interesting because she is fluent in two very particular worlds, the world of modern Orthodoxy and the business world. These two experiences are so present in the way that she speaks, and this conversation really feels like an inside look into both, especially if, like me, you're not modern Orthodox or a businesswoman. When we talk about women in traditionally male-dominated spaces like business, journalism, medicine, we acknowledge the importance of representation. These fields will never be inclusive of women if women aren't given the opportunity to advocate for themselves. Maytel Schoenberg shows us a very particular and very important example of this. Representation for women in the business world, yeah, but also representation for Orthodox Jewish women. A community that is so misunderstood and so misrepresented. A community that is almost always spoken over. I am so excited to speak to Maytel Schoenberg today and to unpack all of this. What is it like to be not just the only woman in the room, not just the only Jew in the room, not just the only Orthodox person in the room, but the only Orthodox Jewish woman in the room. How is the field shifting to be more inclusive of women and Jews alike, especially when it comes to issues like Shabbat or maternity leave? I am so excited for you guys to meet her. Let's do this thing. Maytal Schoenberg began her career focused on venture capital-backed digital advertising startups, where she developed strong connections around the publishing, user experience, and video categories. In 2015, she joined fintech startup FastPay, where she developed the company's sales strategy and led a 15-person team focused on enterprise clients. Today, Schoenberg leads East-West Bank's new media lending group, leveraging her 10 plus years of experience in the new media, advertising, and technology industries. Maytel, it's an honor to have you. Thank you so much for coming today. Great to be here. Could you give us a bit of a background about where you come from, what your experience was like growing up as a Jewish woman? Sure. So I grew up in Brooklyn, New York, born and raised there. My parents are both Israeli. My dad was in Yom Kippur War and the Six-Day War. Uh, Pretty brutal upbringing, if I might say so myself. My dad dealt with a lot of PTSD issues and bipolar issues, uh, which ultimately led to him and my mom having a pretty uh, nasty divorce as I was growing up. But, you know, we always identified as Jewish. And as we got older as children, we became more religious. So I sort of grew up watching TV on Saturdays. And then I remember one day my mom walking in and saying, no more cartoons on Saturdays. Now we're going to start going to shul. Uh, so it was definitely a, like a unique experience in that mm-hmm. I always knew what Shabbat was and I always knew what Shul was. We just never really attended until I hit probably age seven or eight. And now as an adult, what's your connection to it? Are you kind of more of how you started or how you ended up? So, you know, I think like most Jewish people who grow up religious, <laughs> you kind of experiment a bit, right? And so mm-hmm. I had a pretty uh, firm upbringing once we turned Baal Tshuva and did all the quote-unquote right things, right? Went to Yeshiva Flapush, went to seminary, went to Stern. And it, mm-hmm. wasn't, it wasn't until after I graduated college and entered the workforce that I realized 
wow, there's such a thing called eating out <laughs> and, um, <laughs> you know, having a bagel from a non-kosher restaurant with Philadelphia cream cheese is not the worst thing in the world, right? So you start dip- tiptoeing into that and dipping your toes in the water. And as you start to experience non-Jewish folks, you you kind of get uh, hit with, wow, I, I need to re-identify as a Jew and what does that mean to me? And so, you know, I, I played with that a bit. I, I always really... Uh, kept Shabbat to a certain extent. To me, Shabbat's more, um, I would say, cathartic than mm-hmm. a sort of religious experience, right? I love the idea of removing all electronics and sort of reconnecting and reading and being one with your mind as opposed to having all these constant distractions. And so that sort of always kept me going. But as I've gotten older, um I wouldn't necessarily say I've gotten more religious, but I would say that I became more Jewish. And to me, that just really means connecting with the land and connecting with the people. Absolutely. And growing up, it seems like you kind of were were really, you lived in a place in Brooklyn and you went to seminary and yeshiva. So you were really around Jews a lot. Yeah. I did Dafyomi. I went to Yeshiva Flapush. I did Ivri classes. Um, I didn't really have that exposure to the outside Jewish world. I had a pretty insular upbringing, although I don't mm-hmm. think that was sort of intentional, right? I spent summers in Israel, so I knew the difference between Chiloni and not Chiloni, but it was always around Jewish people. So I was fortunate, but but also I think my growth was stunted a bit because of it. And so your experience at Yeshiva, so at this point it was stern, right? Correct. Okay. And what was that experience like being a woman there? Because it seems like a place women historically weren't able to study, but then you were in this really particular program of having an experience I don't think women could have had a couple of, like a hundred years ago, perhaps, of like really being able to have an intense Jewish education. And what was that experience like for you? So I think for me, it was more of going to, Bra- I went to Bravendor's, Majesh at Lindenbaum uh, for, for seminary. And, and that to me was the epitome of seeing where we've been and where we can go, right? Like, I did Dafyomi daily. I loved Gemara. I did it in in um, high school as well. Stern, you know, I love. I, I shouldn't say I love Stern. Stern was fine, right? <laughs> like I, frankly, I went there because I got a free ride. Mm-hmm. But that being said, like it served me. It did. It served me really well. Like I had access to the city, and that was great for me. It was the first time I was really exposed to non-Jewish people because I would go out on you know Thursday nights and Saturday nights, etc. You know, you were free to learn. Uh, I, I did have a really great, I measured in poli economics, and I had great, mm-hmm. great, great, great professors. You're smack in the middle of Midtown. Yeah. You know, so, so, but only if you want to be, right? Otherwise, look, I mean, I, I lived in Windsor Court, which was super Jewish in that it had, you know, a bunch of Stern girls were living in that apartment building. I think it was like on the mid low 30s between second and third it was a great department but you also had all these students um from Penn and other you know other recent college grads who parent whose parents were rich enough to get them an apartment in Windsor Court right and so all of a sudden you're starting to see all these other people um you know and Stern would obviously never want you to go hang out at a bar across the street on third Avenue. there's so so many great bars <laughs> but I did right and so that's how but then you're met with all these thoughts. And I was like, wow, I really wish, you know, the two classes I really wish they would focus on more in high school and college is 
how to have human interactions with people who are not from your race or ethnicity, um, and then how to write proper business emails, right? Because I think those two things are are things we don't focus on enough, and they, they, they're really valuable real-world experience. have to stop putting exclamation points after every single sentence Correct. when I write an email, so I could probably use that the, the, that, that class. You know, um, there's, but- a good, there's a good app. Uh, <laughs> shoot, I think it's called Girl Boss or something like that. Where it it reads your email for you and it tells you if you're being too emotional. So it'll it'll remove words for you, uh, which I think is a really valuable tool. I used it for forever because look, as females, we're we're over emotional, we're over apologetic for no reason whatsoever. And I think that as a as a female in the workforce, we need to be more careful and more cognizant of how we're speaking and how we're coming across and getting rid of smiley faces and exclamation points and you know here I am overly excited about this because it's just not it's not what the other the other sex would do um and if you want to show that you're as badass as a guy I think you sort of need to start acting like one a little bit I think that brings us to the next part of the conversation which is you are extremely self-sufficient you are (laughs) really breaking new grounds in a career that women couldn't have access to just a few decades ago, a few generations ago. Tell us a bit about your career. So what exactly do you do on a day-to-day basis? I mean, like, I know this, but like for the audience. No, yeah. Well, look, I think I think the start of my career is actually a very funny story because um, it's just, it's typical, it's typical girl stuff, okay? So here I was, <laughs> um, I majored in political science and economics. I worked on Capitol Hill for a couple of summers. Uh, Congressman Anthony Weiner was who I worked for. So all the rumors were true. Wow. Uh, in, in that very just like misogynistic, typical way, right? And so wow. I was really turned off. I did not want to work in Capitol Hill leaving college, but I was SOL. I really had no, I had no idea what I wanted to do in my life. So Stern has this like job book. So I find a job, a babysitting gig. And I babysat all throughout college because, again, the self-sufficient. I used to, like, work for American Eagle during my breaks and then quit after, like, making $1,000. So I get this babysitting gig, and they were paying $1,000 cash per week. Oh, my god! I was like, wow, I'm rich. That's a good job. (laughs) I'm rich. I'm totally rich. Like, this fancy Upper West Side family. And I remember my mom telling me, like, this is the dumbest job. I, I can't imagine, like, this is what you're going to do with your life. I'm like, no, I don't think this is what I'm going to do with my life. But this sounds great. $1,000 cash a week. You know, I'll, I'll pay off some, like, debt. I'll read. I'll just figure out what I want to do next. It's not a bad job. I got mm-hmm. fired on day three. <laughs> um, I got fired on day three because I met her husband on day two. Basically, she fired me because she didn't like the way her husband talked about me after he met me. I was this like bubbly stern girl at the time. By the way, I was totally super religious, like all skirts, but I was extremely orthodox looking, and I was so offended that yeah, a I was getting fired because like his you know her husband said something whatever flirtatious about me. Who Seems, the hell knows? Um, yeah. But B, but I was like, oh my god, that's disgusting. Like I was that you know I was like pretty immature at the time. Anyways, I I went home that day and I got a message from a random person on Facebook saying they're in marketing and advertising and 
their company's hiring. They think that I'd be perfect for it because I'm an extrovert. You don't really need to know anything. I'm like, perfect, sign me up. And that's sort of how I fell into the space uh, of ad tech marketing advertising. Uh, and so, you know, I jumped around from, from job to job because that's what you do in your 20s. And I remember very acutely, I had one supervisor who was a total micromanager and I wanted to move into sales, which was traditionally, this is only 10 years ago, but everyone in the company who was in sales was a guy. Mm-hmm. And he was like, oh, no, you can't go into sales. Like, that's not, you're not good enough for sales. And I was like, well, can you let me try? I'm, I'm pretty sure I'll probably crush it. And, you know, it just mm-hmm. kept coming, oh, we'll see in six months, we'll see in six months. You know, and so so some advice for the listeners out there. If you feel like you can do something and someone's telling you not to do it for whatever reason, it's stemming from insecurity. Like, take the risk, just do it. Like, what's the worst yeah. that can happen? Um, and so that's what I did. I, I you know, I, I found I found a job w- shortly after. It was paying me less, but was going to allow me to sell. And I did that. I did really well, you know. And so I started job hopping from salesperson to salesperson. Um, had my fair share of companies that got acquired and exited. And so I I moved to LA to start this fintech job. Also, because my boyfriend at the time was living here. So, you know, it was a nice transition, I suppose. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And I was there for about five years. And I really did. I grew there. But I was met with a lot of, you know, there was only males on the executive team. Um, It was really hard to move up. I really had to work harder to prove myself. And I was given this opportunity to run my current job, which is managing an entire group at a publicly traded bank. About a year and a half ago, we started talking and, you know, everyone has sort of like imposter syndrome. I felt like they thought I was way better than I can actually ever be. Uh, but I, I took the leap and I've been there for a bit over a year and my team is crushing it. Like we've met, we've hit our goal and surpassed it by a landslide. And, you know, all while I'm pregnant and it's COVID and I'm on maternity leave and here we are, you know, and we're still closing deals in the background. So it's been it's been a wild ride. I never if you asked me 10 years ago if you thought if I thought I'd be a banker, the answer is absolutely not. But, you know, yeah. on a day-to-day I'm meeting tech CEOs um and and trying to help them figure out how to finance their companies. And it seems like a big piece of how you found your way here was just having the confidence to say, you know what, I'm going to try something new and if I fail, I fail and if I believe that I'm strong enough at this to succeed, that I will keep trying to succeed. And I think that that confidence is something that, especially the confidence to be able to take a risk, to take a job that you don't have, you know, a background in because you think it could be something positive for you. The confidence to say, I think I'll be good at sales, even though I'm the only woman in the room. Um, that's something that I'm getting a lot from your story. It, it doesn't always come easy. Like I remember when I used to be, when I first took that job in sales, I, ta- I talked a big game, right? The reason I wanted it was because I, I wanted I wanted to, like marriage was on my mind. I wasn't dating anyone at the time in particular, but I knew that I wanted to pay for my half of the wedding. Like I knew I wasn't going to ask my mom to chip in. That, that was something like I had told myself. And so I wanted to start like creating a, a nest egg for that. But just like everybody, like I can exude confidence. Like I had this conversation with my sister yesterday, actually, because 
she called me out on something and I thought the way she framed it was completely insensitive. And her, her response was, yeah, but like, I know you can take it. And I was like, well, that's not, doesn't mean I don't have a heart or feeling like, you know, you, you're still not speaking nicely. <laughs> like the, yeah. your feelings still get hurt, <laughs> right? Like people, I think people think that if someone's super confident that they're not sensitive and, and sexually, I find that that's not true. But you know, I had I had a pretty hard time. Like I remember forcing myself to go to these networking events because I didn't have a friend to go with because there weren't mm-hmm. a lot of girls in my industry, and telling myself like walking in and being like, oh, "Shit, I, I can't do this. I like I need to get out of here." And I'm a really social, confident person. Like I'm like a social butterfly, right? But I would walk into these things, be really nervous. So I'd say, "Okay, it's seven o'clock. If I talk to six people by seven twenty, Maytal, you're allowed to leave." And so mm-hmm. next thing you know, because like, I'm also like highly competitive, right? So next thing you know, it's 8.45 okay. and I've only spoken to three people so far, right? And so, you know, I think for anyone who's taking different risks or trying new things or, you know, moving to different cities these days or trying to date other people, my general rule of thumb is either ask for three introductions, right? You're looking for a job. You don't know what you're doing. Ask for three introductions. Those three introductions will give you three other introductions. And then next thing you know, do you have this whole networking effect, um, which which tends to help. And then you sort of lose sight of the fact that you are nervous or you are anxious and you have all these other options now. And it just takes that little push. But I think that if we, at least in my experience, right, like, it, it wasn't like, oh, I went from stern job book to running a group at a publicly trading bank overnight, right? It was like all these micro movements that I did throughout the course of my career that got me here. You know, you very often were the only girl in the room, the only girl on a certain team. What was that experience like, um, especially when it comes to to sexism, especially as a Jewish woman, um, especially as a religious Jewish woman too, kind of all of these intersecting identities what was it like in this new field? So I had to learn really early on, and I'm, it's actually something I'm still learning, to be quite honest with you, uh, how to set proper boundaries, right? I think that yeah. it's hard for people um, to want to grow in their career, do it really quickly, and and have boundaries, right? You're, I became the yes person all the time, right? I I'll do this extra job. I'll bend over backwards for you. I won't take that promotion I deserve. Um, You'll tell me that you'll pay me a bigger bonus next year and that's okay with me um, because I want to sort of prove myself, right? Tim Ferriss runs like an awesome podcast that I think everyone should listen to, right? He's the author of Four-Hour Workweek, Four-Hour Body. Um, He's a super interesting individual. And so he runs a podcast where he talks to famous people or interesting people on a weekly basis. And there's actually a a book he had recommended from his latest podcast um, by Anthony DeMello called Awareness. And it, it's, it's a really interesting book. And it's really all about creating awareness in your mind and body on what it is that's going around you, right? And so I read that book like a bunch of different times throughout my career because I just, there have been so many times where I was. I was the only female. Forget being Jewish for a minute. I was the only female in the room. Mm-hmm. And then you couple yeah. Judaism on top of that. And then you couple Orthodox on top of that, right? So, yeah. you know, I was the person who was missing out on events and networking things because I kept Shabbat, right? And so I had to 
duck out early on Fridays and I wasn't available on Saturdays to hang out with the rest of the teams and the groups. And, you know, I think that it takes a while for you to come into your own. Um, but I found that so long as I was aware of what was, how I was feeling and what was going on, I was able to honor whether I was being true to myself or not. And by the way, there are plenty of times I was not true to myself at all, right? Like I did stupid stuff just to impress people, um, which is, I think, fine, right? People make mistakes and you get right back up and you do postmortems and you figure out how you could do it better next time. Um, but so long as you had that awareness, that's always what I came back to. And as I got older, I got way more comfortable and confident in saying, I'm Jewish, you know, I believe in Israel and here are my thoughts. Like I'll, I'll give you, I'll give you a, just an interesting tidbit that happened. So there's this organization called chief, uh, which is a female led executive program. So think like, I don't know, it's VP level to C-suites and above across New York, LA, San Francisco, and Chicago. And we have this incredible network of females. And then on a monthly basis, we have what they call a core group. So I'm part of a core group of 10 executives and we meet on a monthly basis and we talk about shop and there's usually some sort of guided meditation attached to it and this, that, and the other. Without fail throughout all of COVID, whether it was Black Lives Matter or what happened on Capitol Hill or, you know, Asian hate, et cetera, whenever one of those things was happening at the time, we started every core meeting with, okay, let's let's keep some open space and everyone who wants to talk about what happened with George Floyd or what happened on Capitol Hill or, you know, Biden versus Trump. Like we want to create a safe space so that you can feel comfortable. And I wouldn't say venting is the right word, but like just releasing some of the tension and just having a place where you could talk about it. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. When uh, there was the latest fight between Gaza and Israel was going on. I had a core meeting that was, I opened up my Zoom and I logged on about 15 minutes after I had opened up Instagram and saw that Mm -hmm. my cousin's apartment in Tel Aviv got blown up. You know, thank God Israel's really good at predicting when these rockets are launching. And so she was, she had vacated the building, but this is, it's a building, it's a, an apartment she moved into with her fiance and there was shattered glass. Everything was ruined, right? So sure, the monetary portion is one thing, but it's the, it's the emotional okay. portion that, that really, it's just like it broke my heart, right? She was getting married in three weeks and this is what was going on. We start this core meeting and everyone's catching up, this, that, and the other. And then the guided meditation person was like, okay, so to start, we're, we're going to, you know, start talking about this guided meditation. So if there are no other questions, like, let's get started. So, you know, me being me, and I don't know if I would have done this when I was 22, but 35, I'm just a bit different. I was like, yes, I have a question. Actually, there's something I want to say. How about mm-hmm. suggesting safe space for what's going on in Gaza? Um, you know, and and it turns out, and I didn't know this, but it turns out that there's an Australian woman who's, on, her name is Mina. She's a gem who's on this um, core group with me, who is Palestinian. And that was the first time I learned about that. And her parents fled Palestine in 1948 and moved to Australia. Mm. And, 
you know, I, I, I was like, look, I'm, I'm pretty, I'm pretty frustrated. You have to find a way to say all this like calmly, right. And respectfully, because you never really know who's on the other side and how everyone's feeling. And I think that's something that everyone needs Mm -hmm. to learn on both sides, Mm -hmm. to be quite honest. But the way I positioned it was, I'm pretty frustrated that we found safe space to talk about all these other hate crimes that are going on in the U.S., um, but this is affecting a huge portion, and there's a ton of anti-Semitism going on, um, you know, and I think we should talk about it. And so, you know, we did. We ended up speaking about it for 20 minutes, but what was wild to mm-hmm. me was of the eight people, there's 10 of us, only eight people had any idea what was going on. So two mm-hmm. had literally had no idea. And only three people knew what was going on in LA in terms of all the anti-Semitism attacks. And why is yeah. that? Because their Facebook and Instagram algorithms didn't show them what was going on. So I thought that was like wild to me. Like one of them lived two blocks away from one of these crazy attacks that happened by the Grove in Los Angeles. Um, and that that floored me, right? And it was also super interesting yeah. for me to listen to this Palestinian Australian woman's perspective because she was, uh, you know, I don't want to say pro-Israel, but she was anti-hate, right? Which is, I think, yeah. what Israel was trying to say this entire time. Like, we're just trying to mm-hmm. protect humanity here. Absolutely. And I think finding kind of that mutual humanity is so important. I had a similar experience when there was this like wild uptick in anti-Semitism and I was getting a ton of harassment online. And the person who actually kind of like stood up for me and defended me, what her family was Palestinian. I never met her before. She was just someone from online. Um, and she commented and she was like, listen, I'm struggling. My family, her family was Palestinian. My family, my grandparents are Israeli. Um, and she was like, look, I'm struggling. I can only imagine that you're struggling too. And I want you to know that like, I'm praying for your family and my own family too. And I think if we're able to like have more experiences like that where we're seeing mutual humanity in each other and having these conversations, it could be a really positive experience. I think a lot of the time, like our suffering, especially in the past um, few months has been really diminished. Like I'm sure that it's been a hard time for you, your your cousin being impacted in Tel Aviv. I have family in Tel Aviv too. It's also a hard time for me. Um, and like continuing to work in spite of that, how are you able to kind of draw the strength? How are you able to keep, you know, you'd mentioned being vocal when the, you know, anti-Semitism wasn't mentioned. How did you have that confidence to talk about that? No, yeah, totally. Well, it, it's funny that you say that, right? Because right after um, we had that safe space for me, we went into some sort of, you know, into the guided meditation. And after the guided meditation, we go into these breakout rooms. And I, you know, I, I wasn't present. And Again, bringing it back to awareness and just being transparent with yourself and the, those around you. You know, I sucked as like a teammate that day. And I think that's okay, right? I, I was upfront about it. I'm like, look, guys, I'm I'm not gonna be productive today. That that really just triggered me in a way that I I don't know, I don't know why, but apparently I have a lot of feelings around it, which I didn't really think I was because look, I didn't I didn't post on Instagram the way everyone I know did right i i unfollowed a bunch of people that's for sure but i i wasn't super vocal that way the one thing i was happy about even though again this is a total cop out but i was happy that i was remote because i remember last time when this was going on 
um, a few years back being in the work setting and needing to defend Israel sort of on a day-to-day basis with coworkers, right? Because it's this awkward, it's this awkward balance. Like when I was at this fintech firm, there, there were like pro Hamas people in my engineering team. Um, and, and (laughs) figuring out a way, forget to be polite, but like to not be scared at work was, was pretty difficult, right? Like we only, there were only 50 employees and there was someone who was legitimately watching Hamas YouTube videos at work. Um, and you know, we have like an open office and I was an executive, right? And it was just, it was pretty, it was a pretty weird conversation to have to have with my CEO and head of HR, but I had to say something because I was genuinely fearful for my life. Um, you know, this time around, it's totally possible that there are people who are anti-Semitic at my job, but I've been living in this COVID bubble, which for good or bad has been able to shield me from a lot of the hurt and pain that I think that, you know, in prior years or when there were other intifadas, things like that, um, I've had to experience head on. It's a, it's a hard place to be in. And I think it's hard to have those conversations with other people and say, hi, what's happening to me is anti-Semitic because people don't always understand it. But I think it takes a lot of growth and strength to be able to do that. Um, how would you recommend for other people listening to this who have other have similar experiences where something anti-Semitic happens and they don't know how to confront it, how do you recommend they go about being vocal about it, about telling someone about it? I mean, look, the first thing I think... Um, is important for listeners to understand is you're going to be hit with this at some point, right? There's, there's just, it's impossible to be living in America and, and not be affected in some way, shape or form, unless you're living in a super insular community and you work in a really insular job, which more power to you if, if, if that's your, your path in life, right? It's all about being able to Number one, really understand the issues. And so I know we say this ad nauseum, but listen to podcasts, read the news. Um, I like to read Al Jazeera too, right? Like I don't keep myself one-sided. It's the same reason why I get frustrated people who just read NewYorkTimes.com and not Fox.com. Like I think in order to have a balanced view, you need to hear both sides of the crazy, right? And then sort of come to your own conclusion. But once you have your own thoughts and feelings about it, I think to the extent that you could be as empathetic as possible, right? And look, I'm I'm a huge empathy person, right? Uh, Brene Brown is another author. She does a really good job of explaining um, how, forget sympathetic, right? Sympathetic is just like something crappy happens to you and I'm sorry. Empathetic is I'm going to try to be in your shoes and experience this from your perspective And if I can't, I'm going to be open and honest with you about that, right? And so I can't always be super sensitive to what's going on on the other side of the Palestinian conflict because I have my own biases. And and I think that's okay, but then don't try to pretend that you're not biased, right? Like don't, there's not just one truth. Like, yes, I do believe that Jews should live in Israel and that's our state and we want it fair and square or whatever you want to say, right? Like I do believe that everyone's trying to get peace in some way, shape or form, but I think most Palestinians want that too, right? You have Mm -hmm. that 10% of crazies that take up so much 
energy and space. And I think that when you're met with, well, there's there's two two different things, right? When if you're if you're met with anti-Semitism, whether that's in the workplace or not, you have to speak up. And whether that's your head of human resources or your superior or even a teammate, like you have to say something because when misinformation is being spread and you feel unsafe, yeah, that that's like a whole different ballgame, right? But if you're met with conflicted, conflicting opinions, right, or someone who just doesn't agree with you, I think the best course of action, and I've had to say, I've had to do this multiple times, the best course of action is to defend what you know and what you believe in, but then also you know, if you don't have a good answer, just don't pretend you have an answer, right? Like there was a couple, like I got engaged in this crazy discussion um, about whether Israel should be Israel or should it be Palestine, whatever, with an atheist Jew, two Palestinians, and a Christian who was like obsessed with Israel at my last job. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we were having a pretty interesting dialogue. But then it got to a point where I had nothing productive to say anymore because it was just, it is what it is, right? And everyone's going to have yeah dissenting opinions and that's okay, right? And so that's what I said. Like I stopped trying to defend my opinion and was like, look guys, should we just take a shot and call it a day? Because like, there's, there's no other, there's no other conversation to be had here, you know? And like, <laughs> you still need to work with these people. And so I think that's really important. And uh, that's just, it's whether you're Jewish or not, it's whether you're liberal or conservative, like some of my best friends have opposing political views and that's totally fine. So long as you can respect what other humans have to say, right? So try to avoid cutting people off or telling them they're wrong. Everyone's, everyone has their right to have their own opinion. Um, and try to listen with empathy, like truly listen with a capital L. That really, really brings us to our last question. Um, A lot of what we're trying to do with this podcast is to give everyone, but in particular young girls, access to mentors in fields that they probably would never have access to mentors before, um, listening to these conversations. Um, So we like to end every podcast with the same question, which is what's one piece of advice you'd want to give to everyone, but particularly the young people listening to this, about navigating the world as a Jewish woman? What I wish my younger self knew now that, you know, I've been in the workforce 15 plus years, nothing is as big of a deal as you think it is, right? So I used to think, oh, when do I tell my boss I actually keep Shabbat? Or when do I tell somebody that I'm going to Israel on vacation? or that I have family in Israel or things like that, or that, you know, these holidays are really important to me. Like the the amount of times I've gotten like these, you know, not, I wouldn't say they're nasty comments, but they're little digs, right? Like, oh, another Jewish holiday, you know, like, Mm -hmm. oh, what's this time? Um, And I remember being young and feeling like, okay, how am I going to make up for this? So there was one year where I came in on Christmas Day and Thanksgiving and all these other crazy holidays because I felt guilty, right? And if there's one piece of advice I'd give to girls is don't feel guilty for who you are because Mm -hmm. you are who you are. And the more confidence you have in yourself, the more confidence you'll exude and nothing is as big of a deal as you think it is. It just, it truly isn't. Like, I remember even just 
starting a new job and being like, oh God, I have to give two weeks and I can't take a vacation in between because like they really need me so badly or they're going to rescind my offer or something crazy is going to happen. Really no one cares. I just hired somebody, <laughs> um, and, you know, and he called me yesterday or two days ago and was like, oh, I just wanted to let you know that I have uh, this family vacation here and that family vacation. There's a guy obviously, right? So he's like lining up all his family vacations. So I need to pre-approve all his vacations before he starts, but I know you want me so badly. So, you know, I'll start here, but basically I need one and a half weeks off within the first 30 days of working. And I was like, you know what? Why don't you just start August 9th? You go take your vacation. I don't, that, that doesn't need to be my problem. That's a, that's a, your problem. Um, you know, and I called my head of HR and she's like, are you crazy? He's going to start so late. And I'm like, does it matter? Six weeks. Is that really, does it matter to anybody? Like, I think we think right now, sure. We've been trying to fill this position for three months, but like, who the hell cares? It's not going to big, it's not a big deal. You know, when, when everybody's problems become your problems, you have a really crappy life, right? So don't apologize, don't feel guilty, and don't make everybody else's issue your issue. Yes, that is really fantastic advice. Thank you so much for, for having this conversation. It's been such an honor to hear from you and to hear just kind of like the way that you own your career and yourself and your trajectory. It's really empowering and inspiring. And thank you for coming and sitting and speaking with us. Oh, thanks for having me. It's been fun. This was such a meaningful conversation to have. Growing up in the early 2000s, I was always made aware of women doing things for the first time. We learned about them in school, we read about them in the news, but when we talked about women, we often ignored marginalized identities. We didn't talk about the barriers some women still face, the racism, the discrimination, or in this case, the anti-Semitism that still exists around us. Now we are reckoning with the way that equality in fields like business often excludes people with these intersecting identities including Orthodox Jewish women. With such a lack in representation, the only conversations the general world has been having around Orthodox Judaism and Orthodox Jewish women in particular are stories about people leaving the Orthodox community. Stories about hardship and abuse, stories that do demand to be told. But stories of triumph like Maytel's are rarely ever told. Stories celebrating Orthodox Jewish women are so often ignored. What I loved so much about this conversation with Maytal was how absolutely honest it was. She was critical, yes, but also excited. She was realistic, yeah, but also super hopeful. She gave us a really raw and really true picture of the modern experience of Orthodox Jewish women. This reconciliation of two worlds, not in tension, but in concert. You know, I loved this conversation so much that after we finished recording, we continued to chat and share stories. And Maytal told this story I keep thinking about. She told me about a time when she was pregnant, about to have a child, and there was no determined system of maternity leave at her company. Women were just expected to use their sick or vacation time to literally give birth to another human being. And for her, that just signaled how far behind the field was in terms of inclusivity for women. So much so that her higher ups had never even considered that maternity leave was not just important, but necessary. And so Maytel fought for maternity leave at her company. And now all other women had the access that she so frustratingly lacked. She made the field better, not just for herself, but for all women. And she does that every day. More than anything else, that's what feminism means to me. Women making the world more accessible for other women. 
women advocating not just for themselves, but for the community. And it is so beautiful to see. And this, my friends, is where we'll leave you for today's episode of Nice Jewish Girls. Hopefully a bit smarter and a bit more inspired. I would love, love, love to hear your feedback and suggestions for other Nice Jewish Girls to host on this pod. Email us at podcasts at jewishunpacked.com and join us next week when we'll be speaking with Einat Wilf, former Knesset member, author, and advocate. Nice Jewish Girls is a production of Unpacked, a division of Open Door Media. Rifki Stern is our producer, and I am your host, Julia Jassy. Check out jewishunpacked.com for everything Unpacked-related and subscribe to our other podcasts. I want to shout out a weekly podcast you might love called This Week Unpacked. In 15-minute episodes, my colleagues Avi and Sarah explore a relevant and important topic in Jewish and Israel news. Check it out and let me know what you think. And follow Unpacked at all of the social media places like TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. Just look for at Jewish Unpacked. Talk to you later, ladies.